starting in verse 36, we see this. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, watch this now, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Would you pray with me? Father, as we, we, as we read your word, as we prepare our hearts today, we come with a great anticipation and expectation that you're going to meet us here. As this is your church, we believe that you are God, that you are sovereign and that you are infinite, Lord. We believe in Jesus, who is your son, who because of his death, his burial, his resurrection gives us a way to God. We believe in the Holy Spirit who fills those who would follow after Jesus Christ. We're your church, we gather like this to make much of Jesus, to learn from your word, to be in community with one another, to be lights in this world. So Father, today I ask that you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And I wanna encourage you right now, just keep your eyes closed, your heads bowed for just a moment more. As we always like to do, we wanna take a moment just to center ourselves. I know it's snowy out, I know it's busy out, I know there's a lot of inflation out. <laughs> Whatever the case is, right now, this is your time set apart for you and the Father. I can promise you this, every time God's word is spoken, every time God's word is read, it will never return void. It will always work in us, for us, through us. The only question is, will we surrender ourselves to it? Today, I'm gonna ask you to do just that. Come with open hands and hearts, open minds, what the Holy Spirit wants to illuminate to you today through the, the teaching of God's word. Right now, just take a moment, if you would. Amen. Amen. Thank you. How are we doing? We doing well? Yes? Doing good? You warm in here? Yeah. Uh, for those of you watching online, there's like a blizzard happening outside right now. So I'm glad you're here. We may be having church for the next day or two. So you may not be able to leave. Some of you are like, no, I'm definitely leaving. So you don't have to worry about that. Uh, today, I, I feel like I have to like give a little bit of a precursor every time uh, that, we, that we begin teaching out of John 13. Today is definitely challenging in, in a lot of ways. Um, and I feel like I, I have been saying that the last couple weeks, but I say that because I kind of want to set some of the tone for what God is going to give to us through his word. And, and so I really do want to have you approach today's reading with an open mind. Do not think that this teaching is not for you because it is. It is for all of us. And it's, and it's with that that I want to come out of the gate with a little bit, uh, a little bit, uh, how do I want to say this? 
just a strong statement. How about that? And it's the first thing I want to encourage you to write down. We're a church, as you heard Pastor David mention, we're a church that worships in spirit and in in truth. We take these truths, we write them down, we open them and unpack them in our small groups, which if you're not in one, you are missing out, especially in this season right now. You're missing out on discipleship and community, on leadership, advancement in your own life. I would really highly recommend that you jump into one. But here's the first thing I want you to write down and consider. It's this. You are never more than one moment away from the potential of walking from your faith. You are never more, right, than one moment away from the potential of walking from your faith. And before you say, okay, this is definitely not a teaching for me. This is definitely a teaching for somebody else. Let me, let me define moment for you. When I say you're never more than one moment away from walking from Jesus, I would, I would maybe even want to say it like this. You are never more than one diagnosis away from the potential of you walking. You are never more than, than one season away. You are never more than one heartbreak away. You are never more than one failure away. You are never more than one tragedy away from walking potentially walking away from your faith. See, I would say this. We tend to classify people who walk away from Jesus, walk away from biblical community, walk away from their faith. We call that deconstruction, right? Taking uh, your faith and really pulling apart at every piece of it, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it is a bad thing when we use the world and society to critique Right First, as a precursor to God's word, we come with some presuppositions to God's word, expecting God's words to make allowance for our, uh, our worldly system. You guys with me so far? We're basically trying to shove an unbiblical worldview into a biblical worldview, and that just doesn't work. And so what happens is people walk away. People walk away from the faith. There is a healthy form of deconstruction wherein we use scripture to critique the world, scripture to critique religion, scripture to critique even religious practices, which is what Jesus did consistently over and over, using scripture, calling people back to scripture. Truly, truly, I tell you. You've heard it said, but I tell you. Things like that. A new commandment I give you. These are all deconstructionist words the vocab of a deconstructionist. And so Jesus, a revolutionary, was deconstructing to rebuild a church that was rooted and based in Scripture. And what we've done is taken a church rooted and based in Scripture and tried to add world and culture that is ungodly and put it into our church. And Jesus says, nope, you can't have both. You can't have both. And so because of that, we have arrived in a season of our country, of our world, and our society where it has reached a boiling point. It has reached a pinnacle. And so there are those who are saying, this is how we go about church. These are the tenets that we stand on. This is what scripture says. I believe that it is an authority for my life. And then there are others who are involved who are saying, well, why can't we have it both ways? I believe this part of scripture, but not this part. And isn't that okay? And so people are deconstructing their faith. And I want you to know that all of us in this room right now, all of us watching in online right now, you are never more than one moment, one diagnosis, one tragedy, one failure, one hurt, one season, one poor relationship away from potentially walking from Jesus. Jesus. 
all of us. And as I mentioned, we tend to classify a person who has walked away from Jesus as clearly not being knowledgeable enough. We think things like this, well, clearly they walked away from Jesus, so I need to get with them because I just need to get them more knowledge. Because if they had more knowledge about Jesus, if they had more knowledge about Scripture, if they understood it better, then, then, they, would, then they would understand, then they would come back, then they would get it. Because knowledge is really the root of all faith, apparently, right? So if they had more knowledge, then, then that would be good. They would have never deconstructed. But the fact of the matter is, the people who walk away from Jesus look just like you. They go to church. They're in a small group discussing their faith. They read the Bible. They pray. They might even fast. They walk through different seasons of life. People who walk away from Jesus look just like you. People who walk away from Jesus look just like me. They have a, a degree in religious studies. They attend a seminary. They get their master's. They go on and get their doctrine, uh, doctorate around uh, theology. They're apologetically trained. They look just like a Christian musician who for 30 years writes songs about the glory of God. For years they tour the country and the world, leading people in worship. People who deconstruct their faith look just like you, look just like me. And so before you dismiss this teaching as something that is meant for someone, someone other than yourselves, listen to the words of Paul as he writes this to his church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, he says this, let anyone who thinks he stands... Take heed lest he fall. What do you mean by that? Well, I think what he means by that can be summarized by another great theologian of our modern age when he says this, you better checkity check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's the great theologian and apologist Ice Cube. So before you dismiss this as a teaching for someone else, you better checkity check yourself. I'm just saying this is for all of us, all of us. Here's the first point I really want you to write down. Number one, all the emotion in the world is not enough to keep you steadfast. Let me just kind of define steadfast. That means holding firm. That means rooted correctly. That means you're with God and God is with you and you're riding this thing to the end. And what I want you to know is that all the emotion, let me hear you say the word emotion. We've got to wake up a little bit today if you're going to receive this. Let me hear you say emotion one more time. Yeah. All the emotion in the world is not enough to keep you steadfast. Look at this passage. Uh, Peter and Jesus have this interaction in verse 37 specifically. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, why cannot I follow you? Watch what he says now. I will lay my life down for you. Let's hold it right there real quick. I will lay my life down for you. How many of us... Boy, we go to a camp, we go to a conference, maybe we have a vacation where we're out and we just have this moment of worship. I remember uh, a couple years ago on a sabbatical, we were out in the middle of, I believe, Arches National Park or somewhere around there and, and I somehow convinced my wife to let me uh, escape the tent in the evening and I drove out to the middle of this area and it was just me and it was very dark and I looked up and there was just massive stars. And I had my phone with me and I turned on some worship and I remember singing in that moment and I felt so connected to God and I felt so close to Jesus. You ever have one of those moments? I know it's not all emotion, 
But I do figure that Peter is having a very strong emotional moment. Jesus, I will lay my life down for you. Peter, also the emotional guy who sees Jesus walking on water and says, Lord, if that's you, I want to do this too. And Jesus is like, come on out. Peter jumps out of the boat and starts running. I just imagine him running across the water, be like, this is crazy, just hyped up. And then all of a sudden, he takes his eyes off Christ and begins to sink. Jesus follows up this very emotional statement, which I'm sure Peter believed fully by saying this. Yeah, Peter, is that true? Look at this in verse 38. Will you lay your life down for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. In other words, Peter says, Jesus, I'll lay my life down for you. And Jesus says, yeah, tonight you're going to deny me. Church, emotion is not enough. It's not substantial enough. It's not strong enough. Emotion in and of itself is not enough to keep you steadfast. Now, this slaps us across the face like a ton of bricks because everywhere else we are told that emotion is to be exalted. In fact, we're even told, follow your heart. That's emotion. We're even told, live out your purpose, which is found in discovering your truth. That is emotion. Emotion is exalted in our world today. Would you agree with that? Yes? How you feel defines your truth. How you feel defines your plans. I'm all in. I'm hyped up. But when it comes to following Jesus, all the emotion in the world is not enough to keep you steadfast. Point number two. Here's the other thing that we have to keep in balance. All the knowledge in the world is not enough to keep you steadfast. So all the emotion in the world is not enough to keep you following Jesus. Number two, all the knowledge in the world is not enough to keep you steadfast. Listen to this passage in chapter uh, two of 2 Peter. Oddly enough, interestingly enough, written by the man who denied Jesus. Listen to this, 2 Peter chapter two. And before we read this passage, real quick, take that off if we could, real fast, just real fast. There we go. I want you to take a deep, just a deep breath right now. Can we just take a deep breath? Let's just inhale. All of us, come on. All, you're not too cool to do this. Just do it. Inhale. Now let it out. Here we go. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20, it says this. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge, let me hear you say the word knowledge, knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome the last state has become worse for them than the first. Verse 21, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Watch this now. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. Strong words from Peter. In essence, he's saying all the knowledge in the world is not enough to keep you steadfast. Specifically, Peter in this verse is talking about people who come up out of the world and find hope, find truth even in the teaching of Scripture, in the righteousness of God. Individuals who might change their habits, modify their behavior, begin doing things differently than they used to do. The people who say, I'm not going there anymore. That's who I used to be. That's not who I am anymore. I'm different. I'm changed. And then somehow along the way, they walk away. 
Peter says they have all the knowledge. They have all the knowledge of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But all the emotion in the world is not enough to keep you steadfast. All the knowledge, all the emotion, all the knowledge in the world is not enough to keep you steadfast. One of the really fascinating things to me in Scripture is just the narrative of Lucifer. I know that might sound strange. You know, you're like, uh, what? You know? But if you study a theology of Satan, it's really interesting. I know that we have demonized him. That's a little pastoral joke, demonized him. Um, but the fact of the matter is, do you know where he started out? He was what Scripture calls a covering angel. And this guy was one of the highest orders of angels. His position was that where he, as best we can understand theologically, he was the one who covered the throne of God and reflected the glory of God in heaven. Not really anyone closer to God than Lucifer himself. All the knowledge in the world. He knew who God was, had seen his power had watched the demonstration of, of God himself speaking the world into existence and, and, and creating man and creating all, like had, had seen that demonstrated, right? Knows God's word better than you, better than me. Interacts with God on multiple levels. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, you will see that Satan didn't just go to God to ask him and inquire if he could, if he could try to take down Job. We know that story, correct? But also goes to God and inquires if he could try to sift Peter. God grants him that, right? Satan has all the knowledge in the world, and yet no relationship, no submission, no surrender. I want you to know all the emotion in the world, all the knowledge in the world is not enough to keep you steadfast. You guys with me so far? Yes? Okay. I hope so. Because here's a big question, big problem. So if emotion is not enough to keep us steadfast, if knowledge is not enough to keep us steadfast, what in the world is the answer? <laughs> what creates a steadfastness in our following of Jesus? thankful for the book of James where it gives us a very clear answer. In fact, James writes it like this in verse 2. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, I would also say my sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know, read this with me now, church, for the testing of your faith produces, all right, that was pretty weak for what it is. The testing of your faith produces, yes, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Write this down. The testing of your faith, watch this now, can produce steadfastness. The testing of your faith can produce steadfastness. The testing of your faith, what do you mean? Well, difficulties that you walk through, difficulty in your marriage, difficulty in your finances, difficulty in your church, difficulty with whatever it might be, difficulty every time you get on 71 North. I'm just saying, whatever it is, your faith can be tested. And what I'm telling you is when your faith is tested, it can produce steadfastness. But there's a caveat because equally, while it can produce steadfastness, the testing of your faith can also lead to deconstruction. And this is something that we have to understand and have to take a real look at. 
The testing of your faith can lead to steadfastness, but the testing of your faith can also lead to deconstruction. Let me hear you say, it's all about the quality. All about the quality. You know, when you're in college, you don't really care too much about quality. You know what I mean? You're just trying to eat what you can eat. You're trying to get quantity, not necessarily quality, right? Can I get an amen from any college student? Yeah, exactly. You know, I know now there's this whole movement, you know, like, well, I need to eat this, and is it organic, and is it this, and is it that? But when you're in college, you're just like, golden corral, let's go. You know what I'm saying? You're just like, give me, I just need food, right? What I'm saying is, as it pertains to your faith, it's all about the quality of your faith. Now, don't misunderstand what I mean by quality, because when I say quality, I I wonder if you think that I mean like, am I raising my hands when we worship? Am I tithing enough? Am I giving enough? Am I serving enough? Am I trying hard enough? Am I praying hard enough? No, that's not what I'm talking about when it comes to quality. What I'm saying is this, your quality, the quality of your faith really is dependent on what your faith is rooted in. Let me ask you, church, how is the quality of your faith today? If the quality of your faith is dependent on what your faith is rooted in, how is the quality of your faith? Now that might seem like an odd question, but when we read this story from John chapter 13, when we see Judas betray Jesus, we have to ask, where was his faith rooted? Clearly not rooted or surrendered to Jesus Christ as Messiah. When we look at Peter, Him saying, I would lay my life down for you. Where was his faith rooted? When he jumps out of the boat and thinks he can walk on water, what is that an indication of concerning the rootedness of his faith? Peter has a high value on himself, does he not? Peter has a high value on his own self-discipline. Peter has a high value on what he thinks that he can do and what he can accomplish. Now, is his heart in the right place? Sure. Are his feelings in the right place? Sure. But church, this is where we get off base because all the emotion in the world is not enough to keep you steadfast. Are you with me? It's not. And so we try to swing the pendulum them. I'm just not gonna have any emotions. I'm just gonna go full on over here. It's all gonna be knowledge. I'm gonna study and study. I'm gonna just become. We miss the point of faith. We miss the faith that God is trying to build. We miss what God is trying to accomplish in us. And ultimately, this is why people, ultimately now, this is why people deconstruct their faith, because their faith is not rooted in the right place to begin with. If your faith, I I really want you to hear me say this. This is really strong, but also very important. If your faith is rooted in a church, your faith will fail. If your faith is rooted in a pastor, your faith will fail. If your faith is rooted in a spouse, your faith will fail. If your faith is rooted in your health, your faith will fail. If your faith is rooted in your prosperity, your faith will fail. Because when your pastor fails you, when your church fails you, 
When your spouse fails you, when your health fails you, when your prosperity fails you, you will begin to tear apart at the very faith that you have built your world around and you will begin to discover the very fact that your faith was rooted in the wrong place the entire time. You will walk away thinking that Jesus has hurt you, thinking that God is not the author of truth, thinking that this is not real, and your faith will seem like fiction. It's interesting, uh, just kind of doing a little bit of a deep dive into faith, I, I was really interested to see what society thought faith was or how they would define faith, how, how the world, right? And I overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, when you Google faith, you, will, you go to the image tab, you know, and you can see different quotes and things like that. I'm talking overwhelmingly. The definition of faith that was given was this. Faith is a knowledge within the heart beyond the reach of proof. This is, this is the definition we hear of faith. Faith is a knowledge within the heart beyond the reach of proof. Church, I defy that statement 100%. Because I truly believe as a follower of Jesus Christ, faith is a knowledge within your heart that has surrendered to the God of truth. Do you see the difference? It's not beyond proof. It's surrendered to the God of truth. In fact, when we look for proof, what evidence do we need that we do not currently have? As we read scripture, we see that it tells us that heavens declare the glory of God. That is your burden of proof. As we see our children born and take their first breath, that is the burden of proof. As we see marriages restored and addicts recovered because of their surrender to Jesus Christ, I tell you, that is the burden of proof as we read scripture and learn God's word and he begins to transform our desires and shape our hearts and our minds. That is the burden of proof. It is evidence that God is working and moving and real, that we can believe in him that we surrender to the God of truth. Because faith, here's what you need to know. Faith is the marriage between knowing God's word and trusting God's character. That's a good definition of faith. It's a good working definition of faith. Faith is the marriage between knowing God's word and trusting God's character. Church, can I just simply ask you, do you know the character of your God? Do you? Do you know the attributes of your father? Do you know what he stands for? Do you know how he works? I know sometimes we think about God like he is this like big thing up there that we don't understand at all, but that could not be further from the truth. God has made himself known how? How has God made himself known? Not just through nature, but also through who? Jesus, Jesus. We said this a couple weeks ago. Jesus is how we understand God in real time. Jesus demonstrates God, the attributes of God through himself. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples and the followers over and over. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What does he mean by that? He means, if you know my character, if you know my tastes, if you know my attributes, then you know my Father. Because I and the Father are one. Me and my Father, we are the same. Do you know, church, 
Do you know God's word? Are you surrendered to it? It is not enough to know it. It is another thing to obey it. I heard a pastor, I believe it was Francis Chan, he said something along the lines of, when I'm reading something in scripture and I don't agree with it, it's normally me that needs to change, not God's word. And yet because of public opinion, because of new societal norms, because of emotion and tolerance, we currently live in a world that thinks the opposite. God's word must make way for my desires. God's word, the Bible, must flex for my presuppositions that I arrive with. I want you to know that will never work and it will lead you to walk away. Do you know and do you, here's the word, trust God's character. When your pastor fails you, your faith will be tested but because you know God's word, it will lead you to be steadfast. Do you see that? When your church hurts you, when your church hurts you, your faith will be tested. But because you know the character of our God, it will lead you to be steadfast. When your spouse leaves you, when your friends betray you, when your health fails you, when your prosperity is non-existent, it will test your faith. But because you know your God, because you know his word, but because you can trust in his character, it will lead you to be steadfast. It's all a question of where is your faith rooted? Don't you dare put your faith in a man. Don't you dare put your faith in an organization. Don't you dare put the roots that you have that are sacred to your eternity. Don't you place them in the hands of another individual. Because if you place them in anyone or anything else's hands apart from Jesus, it will fail you. I don't care what they've said. I don't care their track record. I don't care where they're coming from, their mission statement, their value, their vision statement. If you place your faith in anything but Jesus, your faith will fail. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But there will come a day when those roots are shaken, when those roots are pulled. And I remind you of the simple story of Peter. Peter wholeheartedly saying, I would die for you. And if I'm Peter, I'm probably thinking, that's a good statement. Jesus is probably going to really love me for this one. I'd die for you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, tonight, man. Tonight you're going to walk away. Tonight you're going to deny me. Can you imagine the turmoil inside of Peter trying to figure out what he's talking about? Wow, the audacity of Jesus. I just said I'd lay my life down for him. And in fact, I'm the one who stood up and said it. None of these other guys did it. I did. And then he calls me out like that. Pure emotion. Knowledge can do the opposite. How many of us know an individual, maybe we are that individual who has so much of a knowledge. I've got so many years under my belt of Christianity and I like to walk around and impart my knowledge on anyone who are blessed to hear, you know? It's haughtiness. If your faith is rooted in anything apart from Jesus, 
your faith will fail. I'm gonna invite you, if you would, just to bow your heads and close your eyes. We've made a little bit extra time here at the end as our band comes up to really do a self-examination. And maybe this puts you in a little bit of a spot where you're like, okay, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little bit, no, I don't feel like I can trust myself. Good, welcome. You shouldn't. Scripture says that the heart is wicked, full of wickedness. When Scripture tells us that there is no good inside of us leading to save, saving, you should believe that. Every sin that could be exists inside of you. <laughs> and the moment that you think you are above that, the moment that you think that you are better than that, to quote Paul, you better take heed lest you fall. You better check your heart. You better check yourself. You are being set up to fail. Earlier this week, uh, one of my sons set up a trap and he caught up an opossum and it was a fat guy. It was a big guy. And so in the cage, I threw it in the back of our car and he's snarling and yelling and everything running around. And we drove a couple miles away and I opened up the cage expecting him just to run out. But he did the opposite. He stayed in the back of the cage. Here I am with a possum and a live trap, open door on the side of the road, kicking the back of this thing, trying to get him to move and he won't budge. There's something comforting about being in a cage. See, for the last day or so, he'd been eating food that had been fed to him in that cage. A blanket over that cage. He'd been warmer than he probably had been in a while. He was in our garage, in this cage, under a blanket, safe from the elements. He thought, I'm not going anywhere. It's wild out there. I'm safer in here. And what placing your faith in a person does is it makes it comfortable. What placing your faith in a, in a church does is it makes it easy. What placing your faith in a spouse does is it takes off the, the hurt sometimes that comes with living a wild faith. But my friends, do not misunderstand the fact that if you place your faith in a person, an organization, a church, a pastor, you are in a cage. You are not free. Placing your faith in Jesus is wild. It is crazy. It is dangerous. There's no more dangerous place to be than when you are walking in faith rooted in Christ. It's dangerous. He's going to ask you to do things you don't want to do. He's going to ask you to surrender things you don't want to surrender. He's going to ask you to change your desires. And because it's dangerous, we, we just stay back in the cage. It's easier back here. I had to tip that cage up and dump that thing out. He just waddled off into the field, into his freedom that he was so frustrated about. Today, I want to call you, and more than just me, Scripture wants to call you into the wild, dangerous faith of rootedness in Jesus Christ. You can't play it safe. Get out of the cage. Get into real relationship with Jesus. Do not shove this teaching off as for someone else. This teaching is for you. God's word is applicable to all of us. Do you know God? Get to know God through his word. 
consume his word. Well, you just don't understand. It's just, I don't really understand. Read God's word where I don't care. Open it, consume it, read it. It's a discipline. Get to know the character of your God. Who is he? Who has he been? Who does he promise he will be? Stake your life in that. So regardless of what you walk through, it does not change God's character, but rather it produces more faith inside of you. And lastly, surrender to it. Surrender to your God. So with our eyes bowed, with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, Take a moment right now. Examine your hearts, God. If there be in me a faith that is rooted in anyone or anything else, remove those roots. Pull them up. And plant me in the soil that is found in God's word. Plant me in the soil that is rooted in the character and nature of God. I want nothing else but to know my God, to know his character, and to know his word. Anything less will lead me astray. Eyes closed, heads bowed. Take a moment right now. Allow the spirit to examine your heart, to convict you. Church, may it lead us to true repentance.